Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hey guys, welcome back to the PTBC Podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm joined here by colleague Saroosh. Hey everyone. So I think this is our first actual podcast, Us Registered Physios. How does it feel, man? <laughs> feels good. Feels, feels good. good. Yeah. Massive weight off our shoulders. <laughs> so today we have a really special guest with us. We're joined by Nick Lowe, physiotherapist and entrepreneur. Nick is currently the COO of Mild Detox, Chief Operating Officer, and the former founder of Physio Room in Vancouver. He is a Lululemon ambassador, a proud Frenchy dad, and the creator of Bucket Theory. <laughs> In his spare time, he's a big baller, ball is life, and you can often find him hosting dope workshops in Toronto and in Vancouver. All right, let's get down to business. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're thanks, doing well. For, <laughs> thanks for coming on. It must be cool to have graduated now because I still remember the first day I did that. It was, a, it was quite, a, quite a moment seeing that first client, so... Congrats. Well, yeah, and, you know, definitely. <laughs> you know, you go in and you're swimming a little bit in the first first few hours, but, you know, then you're like, okay, all right, we're getting somewhere. You start to fall in the flow of things. <laughs> yeah, I still feel like I'm swimming right now. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Nick, so, you know, we've had a lot of good conversations with you. Uh, we really know, you know, your journey, but I'm sure our listeners are also pretty interested in your journey and how you got here to this position uh, from that very first moment, that first beautiful moment you graduated, um, you know, saw that first client. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, sure. So um, let me see, where do I start? I graduated 2006 from UBC as a physio and I kind of jumped right into private practice right away. Um, let me see. It was kind of, tough I think right from the start just not uh truthfully not really knowing what I was doing it's quite a quite a jump from uh learning in school to to seeing that first client and I think um I went kind of full-time right away I also took a lot of courses immediately after graduation I, I in a lot of ways I got overwhelmed um I joined a practice that I um was hoping to get mentorship from and I didn't get the type of mentorship or the amount of mentorship that I was hoping for. Um, It was a great experience because I I ended up learning a ton um, just from being in the field and getting my hands on clients, of course. But I ended up leaving that clinic uh, within two, maybe two and a half years. Uh, ended up working at another clinic for uh, closer closer to home, uh, just in Vancouver, for another maybe six months to a year. And um, similar situation, I was kind of promised a few things in terms of mentorship and promised a few things in terms of like helping me grow my business. And I, I didn't feel like they, the clinic that I was working at was very well equipped for that. The clinic owner wasn't around a lot. And you know, it's like every clinic owner, right? They, they're, they're very busy. Um, they, they put on many, many hats and it ended up being, I guess, just difficult for them to have the time to, to spend with me or whatever. So after six months of that, I, this was like three years into it now. So probably close to 2009, I ended up, uh, just doing locums for the next 
probably 18 months to two years. And those uh, locums taught me a lot because I ended up working probably at over 10 different clinics in, in greater Vancouver, uh, all sorts of clinics. I worked in, you know, sports clinics. I worked in more manual therapy type of clinics. I worked in, um, um, clinics that had a bit of an older population, some with the younger population. Um, and in terms of business model, also quite varied and quite different. So a lot of clinics, you know, saw people in the 15 minute, 20 minute zone with 30 minute assessments. Some clinics were um, maybe even shorter than that. Uh, and then other clinics were 30 minute to 60 minute models. And I, I guess like going through all those experiences really gave me a lot of insight in terms of just how different the uh, clinic to clinic is. And I, I don't think any of them are like, you know, good, good or bad or, or like some are, you know, better than the other. I think what I really learned was that every, every business is very unique. Um, and every business is doing what's best for them. Um, like again, coming out of school, I, I didn't really know that. I didn't really know, um, that all these clinics were going to be so different. Um, you know, some clinics made me, uh, not made me, but had maybe, uh, certain requirements for uniforms. Uh, some clinics would, um, charge for certain things like, uh, acupuncture, um, or, uh, dry needling. Um, you know, some you'd have to bring your own equipment. Um, some allowed you to give out equipment or give out, uh, products such as like lacrosse balls or, um, things like that. And, you know, some, some paid you for events, uh, some didn't pay you for events. Um, so again, just very different across the board. Um, um, <clears throat> during those experiences, I guess I just didn't really feel like I was in a, um, I, n I never really found one that I felt like I was super happy with, um, only because I never really felt like I went to work being myself. Uh, yeah, a lot of times I, like, you know, I, I would put on an outfit and, and go to work. And I, I remember, like, I'd always, like, pass, pass the mirror and look at myself and go, who is this person? <laughs> it's kinda, it was kind of, like, weird, right? Like, I'd introduce myself, like, hey, I'm Nick. I'm, I'm your physiotherapist today. And, you know, I'd be kind of not myself. And I always felt like, if, if you were to work somewhere, why should that be different than, than like, why do you have to play a different role? Mm -hmm. Going to school and being a physiotherapist was, is, is kind of who I am and yeah. you know, how, how I want to, you know, portray myself or, or dress or look or speak or whatever should be kind of up to me. Um, so, you know, I, doing that for two years made me, I guess just really not unhappy, but not satisfied. I, I definitely didn't go to work going like, this is, this is, this is why I went to school for, you know, so many years. This is why I got my master's in physio. This is why I took all these courses. Uh, I kind of went to work every day, just going through the motions. Um, I didn't really feel like there was a huge team atmosphere in any clinic that I worked at. Um, you know, the, the, the people that I worked at definitely weren't uh, people I hung out with after work.
they were they were cool. I mean, we we talked a little bit at at work, but when 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 clinicians are busy, nobody talks to each other. Yeah, there's that little like kind of midday crossover period that you you might like say hi, and that, that's pretty much it. So yeah. Um, trying to be a part of a team culture, which is something I've always grew up in because I, I played basketball growing up and um, being part of a team helped define who I was. All my friends were basketball players, right? Exactly. So throughout high school and then into university as well, I loved playing basketball and uh, all my free time was either playing basketball or watching games or talking trash about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> it was always about basketball because yeah. you end up you end up hanging out with the people that have similar interests to you, right? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't hang around soccer players because I didn't really understand soccer that well. <laughs> so at work, I thought like I thought it was a big piece that was missing in day to day uh, day to day life, I guess, just going to work and not having a true team atmosphere, um, made me feel almost like I had a bit of an identity crisis to be honest. Um, cause I would like go home after work and I would change my clothes. I would wear kind of basketball gear <laughs> and I would go hang out with my basketball friends Yeah. And on Monday. I'd go back to work and I have to put on all these clothes and kind of like try to blend in. And I felt really weird about that for whatever reason. Um, so in 2000, uh, 2011, actually six months prior to that, I, I had actually quit physio for, um, um, after my last locum, um, which was a good locum. I ended up working, uh, out in North Vancouver and, uh, I met a lot of good people out there and I worked a locum there for probably about eight months and they had offered me a full-time position there. And, um, at that time I was kind of like, do I take this position or, like knowing that it wasn't everything I wanted or do I, you know, take, take the risk and kind of just go and do my own thing and see, see what that's like. And uh, I ultimately declined and uh, I didn't really have an intention right that moment that I wanted to open my own clinic, but I knew I didn't want to open, I didn't want to continue to work um, as a contractor or a clinician at other, other clinics in the city. Uh, so I ended up actually quitting for a few months. Um, me, me and my brother grew up in this entrepreneurial world where we, um, you know, our parents are uh, entrepreneurs. They, they owned a grocery, grocery store. So uh, kind of the typical immigrant story. Um, so, so uh, yeah, me, both me and my brother kind of grew up working in those environments where, where my, my dad worked very hard. He worked, you know, 8 a.m. to pretty much midnight every day since, mm-hmm. I, since I've known him. Um, <laughs> that's just the, uh, that's the entrepreneurial way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always knew I wanted to learn that side a little bit more. Um, so me and my brother actually traveled to New York with the intention of opening a restaurant uh, for no good reason other than the fact that we're both kind of like food lovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird actually now that I think about it, but uh, he was kind of in this like rut himself. So we, we traveled to New York and we actually had an intention of opening a dumpling restaurant. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, we're Chinese, so we grew up. Um, there we go. Honestly, we, we ate a lot of dumplings growing up and that was like the thing, like my... <laughs> My grandma would get make us dumplings. My mom would make us dumplings. I, I really liked dumplings, or we both did. 
So we always wondered why, why there wasn't like a cool place to hang out and eat dumplings. There were always like these kind of mom and pop shops. Yeah. Uh, so, so the idea was actually to, to, to have this like kind of modernized dumpling concept where you would take a date or you would bring your friends and hang out and, you know, have a drink or whatever. Yeah. Uh, in hindsight, it's kind of a dumb idea, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a big fan of Sha Long Bao, so <laughs> I was gonna have that for sure. Uh, so, um, what ended up happening is that we came back to Vancouver, um, and then we were both kind of like, uh, you know, what actually happened? My brother became a realtor, <laughs> uh, and he kind of left me, <laughs> left me hanging a little bit, and I was kind of like, oh, I thought we were doing this like, like restaurant idea, dumpling idea. Um, and, uh, he was kind of like, yeah, for sure. Like I'll, you know, we're still going to do this thing. And we ended up looking for real estate, uh, for a restaurant. And, uh, we found this space that's 2000 square feet that's in Mount Pleasant in Vancouver. And it was actually supposed to be a dumpling restaurant. And, you know, little did we know, uh, again, having no entrepreneurial background, you can't just like open a restaurant anywhere you want. <laughs> you, you know, the, the, the unit has to be zoned a specific way. It has to have ventilation. It has to have all these kind of things that you can't just like decide to open a restaurant and you can open a restaurant. So what ended up happening is that that particular space, uh, we couldn't really open a restaurant unless we invested a lot more, uh, into, into the space. And, he, again, my brother just uh, got his real estate license at that time. So he was kind of like, I don't know about this dumpling idea. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, then what, 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 what should I, you know, should I just do this by myself? And then he's like, why don't you just open a physio clinic? Isn't that what you are? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, I guess, but I, I don't really love, like, I'm not in love with the industry. Like I've worked at you know, 10 to 12 clinics in the city and none of them, none of them did I really feel inspired. Mm-hmm. None of them did I feel going to work was like, wow, this is like my purpose in life. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and then he's just like, well, like, why don't you just like take all the experiences you had and, you know, do everything you want to do. Um, everything that bothered you about the industry, take it out and just open your own practice. But I was like, I don't, I don't really know how to open up my own practice. I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been a physio for five years, but I, I don't know anything about business. And uh, he's the one that really kind of pushed me to, uh, to kind of go for it. He's like, you know, I'm going to help you. Uh, he actually has a, um, a marketing background. So um, he said he was going to, you know, kind of be beside me uh, kind of along the way. And you know, my brother helped me out a lot in the beginning for sure. Um, uh, when I opened Physio Room. So 2011, uh, again, Physio Room, the funny thing is actually it's my brother's idea to call it that name. It wasn't even my idea to call it that name <laughs> because I didn't actually love that name. Because <laughs> it was called oh, a dumpling room, eh? <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't, I don't know, it didn't really resonate that, yeah. that strongly with me, but my brother, you know, having some business background, wanted to make sure the Physio was in the name for for kind of SEO purposes so people can actually search for you online. Um, we actually had called it Vancouver physio room for a while, uh, again, for SEO purposes. Uh, but I, I didn't really love that name at all, but, um, 
ultimately I went through with it and we opened physio room in 2011 and, um, you know, I learned very quickly, uh, how hard business is. <laughs> and, uh, it was, uh, it was quite the, I guess, quite the journey, but it was one of those things where, um, I quickly found out that, um, you, you, uh, there's, I don't know, how should I say this? There, there wasn't a lot of resources out there for business, uh, in physio. Mm -hmm. um, um, I mean, I mean, I think what you guys are doing is a great job and on Instagram right now with the podcast and stuff, because at least, um, you, you know, you guys are talking to, um, experienced entrepreneurs who've done it before. Um, I didn't have resources like that back in the day. In 2011, we, I don't, I mean, Instagram existed, I think, but we, I definitely wasn't on Instagram. Um, so I just sat there all the time every day and I read business books and, um, you know, Googled things and uh, kind of learned and tried to figure out business along the way. But I would say it wasn't until 2015 when I opened my second practice in Vancouver um, that I, I, it really started to hit me in the face that, you know, once you have two locations, it's quite different than when you have one location where you can kind of hold each other's hand and high five each other every day. And you could probably, you'll probably be fine to be honest. <laughs> like you don't need really amazing business practices when you have a culture that is strong. Mm -hmm. And when you hang out with everyone every single day, that those 10 people that were in my first location, for those four years, we didn't, we didn't have any systems or any structure or any true business principles. We just helped each other, high-fived each other a lot, grabbed pizza after work a lot, um, played video games in the clinic when, when there was no clients a lot. Mm. Uh, and uh, we just kind of ended up figuring out because um, uh, culture is, is really everything in, 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 these, um, in this industry. Um, and then in 2015, I opened up a second practice. And um, again, it was, it was the biggest wake-up call for me. Um, I opened the second practice with two, two of my clinicians uh, from my, my first clinic. And it was, it was a tough one, right? Because they, they were great clinicians, but they also didn't really know how to do business either. Um, mm -hmm. and they were kind of expected to, uh, you know, operate and, and, and run the, run the new clinic. And I didn't also didn't have any tools to teach them anything. <laughs> Because uh, I just did it fairly organically. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I'd say from 2015 to 2017, that's when I, I, I really started to learn business and, and, and started to um, create, create some sort of structure, some sort of framework, some sort of system that um, people can actually learn from. Um, um, it's kind of funny. Like I think as business owners – you you learn to become a really good entrepreneur when you're forced to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in 2015, because I was forced to just based on two locations, having, you know, doubling the size of our team, everyone wasn't from the culture, having two uh, other owners in that new location that weren't like super well-versed in business principles forced me to, um, 
basically learn, <laughs> mm-hmm. learn, put things down, create some structure and, and implement. Yeah. And, um, that was definitely one of the toughest years of my life. That was also the year I got married. Um, <laughs> and, and then, and then moving forward, 2017, that's when, um, I rebranded physio room in Vancouver to Myo detox, uh, to represent Myo detox in Vancouver. And again, funny enough, right? Like, um, I, for, for five years, uh, five, six years as physio room, I didn't really have a team of business people around me. Yeah. And 2017 was one of the, uh, biggest years where I had to learn to, you know, put my ego away a lot and really figure out how to work with, um, um, a bunch of, a bunch of people that are, um, very well trained in, in things that I honestly were, was pretty weak in, which, uh, included, you know, brand included social media included, um, uh, finance included, um, legal stuff. So, there's, there was a lot of things that um, I had to learn when I, when I transitioned to Myo Detox. And again, very difficult process when I rebranded because so many people in Vancouver actually thought I was crazy. They, they thought I went crazy. <laughs> like, you know, this guy worked way too hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, like five years of building up his own company, he decides just to switch names and... Uh, to this day, I get people asking me, like, uh, why did you do it? <laughs> uh, but I have a lot of reasons. Um, I, I, I really believe that um, not just in this industry, I don't think it's applicable just to this industry. I think people could have um, five-year life cycles. Mm-hmm. The five-year life cycle thing is is something that I experienced a lot um, as I graduated from school. You know, within within you know four or five years of being a clinician, I I was very stagnant and mm-hmm. I, I wasn't motivated anymore to continue to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and opening physio room was kind of similar, right? After four or five years of of doing it, I end up opening that second location. Uh, and then after a couple of years of that, I was in a position to open a third location at that time in Vancouver. And I kind of asked myself, why, why am I doing this? Right. Because after the two locations, it was kind of like, is opening a third location any more meaningful to me mm-hmm. and company than two locations? And I wasn't sure if I could answer that. And, um, the motivation to open that third one was drastically less than the second one. Um, and I started to wonder like, like why? Cause you, you start to see what that, what that path looks like. Right. I guess I'll open a third one. I guess I'll open a fourth one, maybe a fifth one, but with each clinic having less and less purpose or less and less meaning. Yeah. Like, why am I even doing this? Like, yeah. I want to go to work every day having more purpose than the last day, Mm -hmm. not less purpose. Um, It shouldn't be a kind of declining scale. It should be an inclining scale. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So my detox was kind of an opportunity for me to be like, you know what? Um, I, I, 
I really want to be a part of a big change in the industry. Uh, I don't think Physio Room at that time was everything I envisioned for Physio Room. Um, I think it was good, but I don't think it was enough. It wasn't um, pushing the the boundaries of um, myself, but also the the, uh, physiotherapy industry. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of the main reason why uh, I decided to join Mao Detox, um, and I encourage everyone um, out there to to really think of things in these five year goals, right? Yeah. Um, like ten years, I think is too long to be honest. I think people should have five year goals, if not less, and redefine them every year. But within five years you should have like an overarching purpose. Mm-hmm. And after that, you should have a new purpose, right? Yeah. Even for Mayo, I, to me, it's kind of like a five-year goal. I, I, I really want to put this, uh, take this um, company and help push it to where, where I think I can help it get to. And after five years, I, I think I'm going to need a new purpose. And um, uh, it, it, it allows me to be very goal driven and allows me to very be, I guess, very focused on, on, uh, on what I'm doing right now. And people wonder why I work so hard because it's very purposeful. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there's not much I would want to do outside of um, doing this right now. So Nick, now that we talked about more about uh, your transition from physio room to Mao detox, could you tell us a little bit more about your role as COO now and what your day-to-day responsibilities uh, are? Yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, the, the role of COO is uh, often very confusing, I guess, for a lot of people. Um, a lot of companies have a CEO and not necessarily a COO. Um, COO stands for Chief Operating Officer. So, my, my main duty, I guess, is day-to-day business and everything that involves day-to-day business. Um, that means I'm essentially in charge of, in charge of, and also accountable for, for daily operations of all three of our regions right now, but all regions moving forward, including building what I like to call our operational framework for both unit level growth and stability, as well as working very closely with uh, Scott, who's our CEO, um, on strategic expansion into new markets. The, the operational framework at, at Mao Detox is something that I personally take a lot of pride in. Um, it's based on a lot of historical data of, at this point, well over 200 to 250,000 sessions that client sessions that we've completed through of physio data um, transition to Mount Detox, adding Pivotal into North North uh, Mount Detox North Shore, as well as the five clinics in Toronto and now West Hollywood as well. Um, so all that data we've kind of aggregated together to to form what uh, we we consider a framework for for thinking and a framework for strategic growth. Um, it evolves all the time. It keeps getting better because it's based on customer behavior, uh, which obviously changes over time as, as the world evolves. But 
it's also what I like to call a very intuitive or smart system of optimization to maximize ROI, which is return on investment. My job surrounds building and developing these systems to set the strategy for the entire company. So currently, the, the way the org chart works is I report to Scott, um, our CEO. I also work alongside Vin, who's our founder and also our chief creative officer, as well as Andrew Sabare, who's our director of education and product. Um, we have a marketing team, a brand team, a recruitment team, HR team, customer insights team, community, community team, and also a financial team. All of them work very closely alongside me. Um, but my role right now is to set all the key results, um, objective key results for each team as well as the entire company. So every, every region right now, we also have a director in place uh, who work closely with clinical directors in every single unit. As you guys know, we have 10 locations, um, four in Vancouver, five in Toronto, and one, one in West Hollywood right now as it stands. Um, but the, the, the biggest thing I uh, always want to tell everyone is like, I'm not a big like report up, report down type of guy. Um, technically, I report to Scott and all the teams either report to me or Scott. But that's to me is based on a very hierarchical org chart structure. Um, functionally, we all work side by side to solve problems every single day. So functionally, there is really no hierarchy. Um, I always tell everyone in my team, and that's actually part of our onboarding right now, is we, like, I don't really know more than anyone else in the company. Um, we just all happen to know different stuff, so we can all learn from each other um, um, day to day. So there is no, like, you know, I'm going to make the decision because I know best. I have the, a different experience than everyone else in the company. So uh, everyone is welcome to any of the meetings that go, go uh, on day to day. Um, the calendar is wide open. Everyone looks at my calendar. Everyone looks at Scott's calendar. Everyone looks at anyone's calendar. If they're free, if they want a shadow, um, it could be a therapist. It could be our guest experience team. It could be the newest hire. If they want to come to any of our meetings and just sit and be a fly on the wall, um, um, or they can also add input and, and uh, in a lot of ways, like a fresh perspective um, and a non-biased perspective, which is often the best, best perspective out there um, to help us solve, solve problems. So I hope that, that was a super long-winded answer to keep operating on That's, I think, yeah, basically that. <laughs> no, that was a that was a great answer. Thanks for letting us know. I think that you know you're right. You know the COO role is not really well defined. Not just not just in healthcare, but to be honest, in any industry, you know, a lot of times CEO might take on the COO role, or sometimes even CEO role is not even 100% well defined. So, as someone in healthcare, and you came from physiotherapy, you know, you've you've come from that route. No, we're not being trained to be COOs of companies, right? So how did you prepare for this role? Um, truthfully, not, I, I didn't, like, the preparation for this role was just through experience, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, 
um, was a clinic owner for a very long time um, from physio room days since 2011. And every step of the way, I would say through um, almost having no choice, I ended up having to almost level up, um, opening the second location, which was 2015, um, my second, second physio room in Vancouver. Again, night and day how difficult it was for me to, to figure out how to manage and lead a totally different team. So that, again, forced me to level up. Um, adding North Shore uh, to, the, to the fold was another one. Um, new culture, new clinic, new team, very difficult. Um, they did things differently than us, just like Toronto uh, with the five locations when we rebranded to Mad Detox, did things totally differently operationally. Um, and, and every aspect of day-to-day -day business was quite different. So how did I prepare for it? I think every step of the way, uh, just forced myself to um, learn and force myself to, you know, look at it from a bigger picture and, and see, you know what, like, like we can grow a lot better if we all do things consistently. And it's, it's uh, something that, you know, we, we teach everyone that works in the company from day one. Uh, adding West Hollywood was, of course, another huge step for us, but it's the U.S., it's not Canada. You know, the, the, the model is quite different. The business model is quite different. But the, the way we do our operations and the way we think shouldn't be that different at all. We use the same um, uh, management software, uh, booking software, which is Jane. Um, so it shouldn't be very different at all. Um, so... I would say it was prepared through uh, having no choice and just figuring it out along the way. Uh, every single step of the way, though, we've been, been um, very thoughtful on how to improve and evolve and get better and more optimized. Um, every clinic we add, every therapist that we add. Um, so, yeah. So, Nick, with Mile growing at the rate that it is now and you know, leading and working with teams in Vancouver, Toronto, and West Hollywood. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what leadership means to you and what a good leader is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I spend almost all of my time, I would say right now, building leaders in the company. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's um, something that I, you know, knew from the past. You know, they always say, you know, don't, don't build followers, build leaders. Um, until you get to the point where, where um, you don't have a choice again, you start to realize, oh, I, I finally understand that sentence, that, that little phrase, that little quote that um, a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs have said in the past to me. Um, because you, at the end of the day, it's like I always say, the, the ones who start the company and the best entrepreneurs, it's impossible to ever catch up to them, right? Because they're 24 seven. And at most, um, even as a director, manager, um, whoever, at most is 40, 50, maybe 60 hours, the ones that work really hard. And the 40, 50, 60 hours, you can work as hard as you want. But the, the visionary, the leader of the whole company, they're almost always 24 seven. 
So it's, it's almost an unfair race to the, you know, the, the gap becomes bigger as you grow, as you expand. And in a lot of ways, we deal with that um, um, every single day and every single uh, um, expansion plan that we have. Every clinic that we ever add, is it too soon? In some ways, for sure, right? For sure. Clinic directors and uh, direct directors everywhere, it's hard for them to catch up, right? If I can clone and put myself everywhere, that'd be amazing. So what I do is like, I look at in the next, you know, two years, three years, five years, where, where do I like see the company? Of course, I have a lot of talks with Scott, Bin, and Drew. And we have a vision for what the future should look like. And we work backwards, right? We set a roadmap. And when we, when we set a roadmap, there has to be a path to get to that destination. And when you work backwards, you'll start, for myself, I quickly start to realize that, no, we, we, we have to develop our people stronger and better and faster, right? So leadership is something that I take a lot of pride in. Um, you know, the, 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 top, the top dogs in every single company always have an unfair advantage because they play the game of chess themselves, right? When they play the game of chess, they understand all the rules. Everyone else doesn't fully understand all of the rules. Right? They don't even know they have chips to play with. The rest of us has, knows every single chip to, that we can play um, with. So what I teach a lot to all of the leaders in the company right now, uh, not just leaders, actually every single person in the company, is you always want to be the chess player, not the chess piece, no matter what. Right? So spend all your time learning the system, learning what we're developing, learning, learning where we're trying to go. And if you can do that, you can create your own path. You can create your own future because you'll always be the chess player, right? You always want to be the one playing the pawns and not the be the pawn itself, right? So, um, and this just works on every single level. If I'm, you know, the CEO of the company and I'm making decisions that dictate strategy for the entire company, on, on a regional level, directors should be making their own moves all the time. And the clinic directors should be making their own moves. They should be recruiting their own teams, right? They should be building their own business outside of any sort of variables that are not within their control, right? Then they'll always win. That's how you build true leaders, right? And it, this goes all the way down to like uh, even being a therapist in the company, all right? A lot of therapists, go to work every day, not knowing that, you know, fully understand the business. They don't fully understand the direction of the, that clinic they work at or that company they work at, right? So when that, when that happens, then you're building a business that technically is unstable, is it? isn't it? Right, because you're not in full control of your own destiny. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, this this topic uh, reminded me of um, a report I read recently, um, a few weeks ago, from the Center of Creative Leadership. It was a report from like this year, from 2019, and it showed a stat where it said about 60% of leaders said that uh, they never received any training for their new role. 
And so this was on the topic of something called accidental leaders. So these are typically the people who, you know, if you read Radical Candor, it's the ICs, right? The individual contributors, they're really high performing individuals, but they're not always, that doesn't always mean they're necessarily ready to be good leaders. And so, you know, you've already alluded to some of these already and individuals who come through this myo system where you're really responsible for developing these leaders. Can you give us like two top two things you do with these specific individuals so that they don't become these accidental leaders, but the true leaders within the company? Perfect. Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, I'm actually glad you brought that up because, um, you know, I just very recently had a conversation with our um, clinic director in West Hollywood. And again, like the whole accidental leader thing makes total, like those are going to happen, right? Like when we open a second location and a third location in Los Angeles, the, the current clinic director is probably going to become the regional director just by default. You don't want to be the guy by default, right? (laughs) Just gave away their promotion. (laughs) (laughs) I had had a really, really long conversation with them because, you know, the chances of you not becoming this is like, you have to do something drastically bad at this point. (laughs) But it's like, you're, you're, you're like grooming yourself to become a pawn. You don't want to groom yourself to become a pawn. You want to groom yourself to become the chess player, right? What that means is you should be spending all of your time reaching out to everyone that helps build the the strategy and build the company right like when when we say everyone's welcome to every single meeting we'll call in if you're if you're in LA call in right if you have free time call in listen in what are we talking about like you should be there it just depends on like you know where you want to go with it and again everyone everyone can um have different goals in life, but I always try to teach people that be in control of your own destiny. At Mayo, we are a company of longevity. Um, what does that mean? It means we don't really look at the industry as our competition. We look at ourselves as a different category altogether. And this this is probably one of the biggest things for me, right? Like I. Um, and you know, myself and Vin and Drew as well, uh, being physios that open up our own clinics, we, we share a very similar story, right. Of, of this glass ceiling effect of like growing and growing and growing and, and really like hoping that, you know, one day there would be an opportunity to, to grow beyond being a clinician and a very busy clinician. Right. And the, the glass ceiling is very real and, especially I would say in our industry and, and Mayo it's become a personal goal of mine to, to make the differentiating factor based on breaking the ceiling. Like I don't want to have a ceiling because that's what I had to go through. And so the difference in Mayo is in true growth and development, you know, every, thing that we've built and every decision that we've made is now very specific to long-term opportunities for individuals on the team as part of their journey. So when you work at Mayo, every day is about growth, right? As a clinician, you can get access to our internal training system 
and our inter internal training modules uh, on our learning management software for clinical edu education as well as personal development. And those are huge, right? As a director or leader in the company, and this is where, you know, I would say a year ago, put as much emphasis on the leadership development side because a lot of us took on that brunt ourselves. You know, we just always thought that we can carry the team, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. no, 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 like we're growing too fast and we need to actually build leaders. So as a director in the company or anyone outside of just being a therapist or um, guest experience team, you get access to our leadership training and business development training. And that's a lot of the things that I've personally built through all my experiences um, as, a, as a business owner as well as an entrepreneur. The end goal, we want everyone to have the ability to become an owner, whether it's with Maya or not, right? Entrepreneurship is very hard. It's very difficult. Um, so again, personal goal, which you know now is a company goal, is to make sure we build out that entire journey for a therapist, right? And teach everything, teach everyone everything that we've learned. The motto of future proof, we take very seriously, right? And you'll start to really start to see Mayo evolve and start to hear some of the stories of a lot of our clinicians that have worked with us since the beginning. They're all owners now, but we have not done a great job in sharing that story because they're not just owners. They're owners that know what they're doing which I didn't, right, which Vin didn't, which Drew didn't, right? We all opened clinics because we had a bit of a chip on our shoulder. That's the, that's the main reason why we opened clinics, right? Because it was this glass ceiling and we grew and grew and grew. And at some point somebody said no to us, right? And I had all these ideas, right? I was that one dude that always like would chime in to like, like you know, the team, team meetings, um, with suggestions because I'm like, you know, we should do this. We should do that Blah 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 and Again, would they take that stuff seriously? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? But when you grow as a clinician and I talked about the the life cycle of the therapist the life cycle of, of just people in general At a certain stage you're gonna feel stagnant, right? At a certain stage you're gonna be very busy You're gonna have you know would have taken like every single course out there. Um, um, you know, clients can't book in with you anymore. Your compensation probably caps. Your, you know, you, your, your motivation and passion for what you do starts to wane a little bit. And, you know, I, I have a feeling a lot of therapists can probably relate out there. Back in the day, it used to be like, you know, four or five years. So we call it that life cycle. But, you know, I, I have a feeling these days, with like Instagram and like with all these different outlets of information that's just given to people for free. And, you know, everyone wants to be successful like now, this second. It's probably Gary Vee's fault. But <laughs> um, people want things so quickly these days. The life cycle is probably two years, maybe three years, right? Yeah. And what you're going to start seeing is a lot of young guys. And in Vancouver, you see it you see it everywhere. A lot of young guys opening clinics right now and, you know, cool, you know, nice brand, nice logo, kind of cool website, 
start on Instagram pretty well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but um, I'm always concerned what happens to them in three, four, five years, right? When they didn't have the foundation, they didn't have the experience to, to, you know, actually know why you're actually doing that in the first place. They're doing it because they want it. They want it now. Right. Mm -hmm. And our whole goal at Mayo, um, you know, myself, Scott, Vin, Drew, um, amongst other people always talk about it. We want to elevate the industry. We want to change the conversation. Right. And, you know, one of my Instagram posts talked a lot about it. Physio room never did that. Physio room became a, fancier glass ceiling right a nicer brand right it was kind of like the cool kids but we still created a glass ceiling right we still created a glass ceiling people didn't have a true path right and i always wonder like oh somebody on my team they'll they'll take me out for coffee it's like did you actually really want to take me out for coffee or are you take out me for take me out for coffee because because you know maybe you want to have that chat or have that talk. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's a very clear-cut path, then we don't have to have that chat, do we? Because <laughs> you know exactly what you need to do. But because I don't want, I never want people to um, hope for anything. And I also mm -hmm. never want people to, you know, like you said, become an accidental leader because of tenure, because they've been in the company for five years. It's like your turn. <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. Like everything we do should be based around hard work, learning and developing and getting better every single day. That's what we all did, right? And that's why a lot of us are, you know, have, have um, the, the success that we have. It's because we spent the time to develop ourselves organically the right way. Nobody handed us anything. We just did it and we built it and we, and we continue to push. And we work harder now than we did years ago, which is like the funniest thing. Right? <laughs> Maybe we yeah. chill out by now, but not, not really. <laughs> I feel like I'm more energetic now than I ever have because now mm -hmm. I see it, right? So, so yeah, that's, that's what Mayo is about. Um, everything we're doing now is based around trying to build that entire journey for a clinician specifically from mm -hmm. the moment they walk into the clinic I want them to every single day when they show up, have a purpose to why they're doing what they're doing, right? Yes, they happen to be, you know, doing some manual therapy or doing this exercise or that exercise, but without a purpose tied behind it, then what's, what are you doing, right? What are you actually doing? So um, you guys know that one of my favorite books is start with why, obviously, and yeah. Take it so seriously now that every single, um, not just therapist actually, every single new team member that works for us, uh, we they start with that book. They have to read it before they're onboarding, right? Because we talk about it a lot, right? Yeah. And again, it's one of those books that I read probably five years ago. Um, uh, somebody recommended it to me, and I didn't get the essence of it. I didn't quite get the essence of it. Like I. I read it, made sense. The golden circle is kind of like, yeah, it's like, cool. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You got to like start with a purpose. I get it. Um, but until you actually live through it, then you're not, you're not really sure 
um, how that fully applies to yourself. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I guess um, going back to Scott's podcast and what, to me, what makes Mile different is that you guys really place a big emphasis on building your team and really developing them, each member to become the best version of themselves and providing the resources for them to do so. I think that's so important, um, especially in our profession, because, you know, I know a lot of clinics out there, Sruj, Slava, and the rest of the PTPs, the boys can contest that a lot of clinics out there, they, they tend to hire physios and they're only looking out uh, for what's best for them. You know, they see physios as like, oh, this is um, someone I can make money from, right? And they're not looking out for what's best for their employees, for the physios that are working for them. But having said that, you know, with these 11 plus years of experience in the industry now, looking back, what's that one piece of advice you would tell this 24, 25 year old Nick, you know, when you first started in the industry as a new grad? Oh man, that's, that's tough. That's always a tough question. Um, Cause there's so many things I would tell a younger version of Nick for sure. Right. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, tell like expressing those messages to my team. Um, you know, I, I always say my, my, everyone that works for this company, I, I treat them like my kid because <laughs> I, I, I want to see them grow and I want to see them develop. And, you know, with, with kids, you, you, your, your intent is always pure because they're your kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with people that work for you, not always, right. It could be slightly flawed. It could be whatever. Um, but the one piece of advice, I mean, that one's really tough, but I would, if I could actually sit down with the younger version of Nick, um, I think I would, so the younger version of Nick had a job as a physio, right? And he liked to play basketball a lot and he liked to travel and he also liked to relax and, and um, chill on patios a lot, right? And <laughs> it probably sounds familiar to a lot of guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's me right now man that's me right now <laughs> right um, so if i actually had a chance to sit down with them and this is where i always struggle right it's like like a 25 year old nick would they fully understand it if i told them everything that i understand now i'm not sure right do you do you do you wait for them to you know learn from their mistakes you know screw up a lot of times and then go and then actually grow from that in a very natural way um, or do you just go you know in and tell them look work is not a job right because that's what I tell a lot of people now work is not a job that's the first thing you should um, tell yourself every single day right because as soon as you classify as a job then now you're basically saying there's two different things one is you do things for your job and the one is you do things outside of your job Right. And this is where this whole conversation of balance comes in. Right. Cause people always ask me and ask a lot of entrepreneurs, how do you balance your life as an entrepreneur? And I don't even know how to answer that sometimes. Cause it's like, 
like a lot of entrepreneurs will say the same thing. It's really hard, you know, like there's no such thing as balance. You just got to love what you do, you know, <laughs> but it, it goes back to just like the first thing ever is work is not a job, right? Where do we get this idea that work is a job and everything outside is, is fun, right? I 100% look at work as just a part of life, right? And I always know why I live the way I live, right? Again, it goes back to Simon Sinek, you know, the whole start with why thing, but you have to know why you're here. Fundamentally, I always do, right? I know my why. Um, hence, again, you know how to work backwards and figure out how to get there. But, and once in a while, I do physio. I treat. I treat a client. Um, even every one of the teams always like, you should stop treating clients, really. Like, is it the best use of your time? You know, you have bigger decisions to make in this company. Like physio is the what, right? Physio is always the what. That's like the granular, the details, right? So if I go back to this idea of balance, like how do I balance as an entrepreneur? I don't. Because balance is for those who do job-related tasks and non-job-related tasks. I choose to live my life with purpose, whatever it is I'm doing, the way I define it, right? And that's what a lot of people, but definitely clinicians don't fully understand. You get to set your own parameters all the time. You get to define your own purpose. I do, hence I love it. Every single day I wake up, I love it, I smile. Whatever it is I'm doing, right? Because I know how to look in a mirror and go, what's missing from this reflection? right? Well, for at my stage in my life right now, it's easy. It's a bunch of kids, right? Family is one of the things I value the most. I look in the mirror and go, I don't have kids in that reflection. I'm not a father, right? But I don't just want to have kids. I want to have a meaningful life with my kids. There's a big difference, right? That's how I define purpose, I define purpose by having a meaningful life with my kids, right? So now when I go back to the details and the granularity of what I do, oh, there's a client that comes in, I'm going to treat this client. I'm not treating this client. I'm not doing physio on this client, right? Client physio is just what I happen to do. I'm creating meaning in my life by doing X, Y, Z, right? Into changes when you have a defined purpose. So if I sit down with a 25-year-old Nick, I probably have this very deep conversation about not, not what you, like, what do you want to see in when you're 37? I'm 37 now. More like, what do you want to see next year? What do you want to see when you're 28, 29, 30, right? And make sure that every single decision that you make inherently is based on what you value. I didn't have those values back in the day. I always tell people at least have four. At least have four things that you personally value. And if you can create that, and remember, that can change. Every year it could change. Every month it could change if you want. You can define anything you want, right? But if you inherently have 
things that you personally value, then you can start to make real decisions, right? Right. I was at the job fair yesterday and it was funny because I was going around and I always, I always find these things interesting, right? Cause I go around and I start asking, you know, I, I just have fun with it. I start asking all the young new grads kind of like, like, you know, what kind of physio they want to be, where they see themselves in the next few years, whatever. And everyone says like the same thing. It's funny. It's always the what, right? They're like, you know, a bunch of the guys actually said the same thing. They're like, you know, I really want to be like, um, you know, the barbell physio, right? I really want to be, um, you know, uh, in a clinic that has um, really good gyms, like gym space and like, like heavy weights. And I see myself as this exercise based, based physio. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's my passion. That's what I want to do. Again, that's, that's kind of the what, that's not the why. That's not why you're doing this in the first place. Why'd you become a physio? Right. The what can change all the time. That's just what you happen to do. Right. So I started asking deeper questions because you know, I was, I, I was like poking around a little bit. I'm like, what do you guys like ask? Like, what are you guys going around asking all the clinics? Just curious. Like who are the front, you know, the front runners? Like, where do you guys want to work? Right. And everyone's has the same, you know, they whooped out their, their notebook and everyone's asking the details, right? They're asking the simple things like, what does the compensation look like? What does the mentorship look like? What is the, what is the, you know, clinic space look like? Do you guys have private rooms, open rooms? Um, that kind of thing, right? But what about like, what, well, who's the clinic owner, right? What do they value? What are their personal values? What are the company values, right? Are those four things that the clinic owner or the company, um, that uh, the values of the company or that clinic owner, do they align with your own? Right? Because if they don't, don't you think that's probably not going to end up very well in a few years? Right? I think so. And then you can talk about, okay, now these are the four companies that align with my personal values very, very well. Right? I'm going to have a sit down conversation with the clinic owner to make sure their personal values also align with mine. Okay, cool. Perfect. Now you can start to choose, okay, where do I want to work? What type of clinic does this have to be? Does it, you know, have squat racks everywhere, functional training everywhere, then that's great. Right. But if you're going the opposite, then it's not going to work very well. And then I actually literally told them just for fun, go around and ask everyone what their company values are. And I bet you most of them don't even have them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. Actually, um, that was one of the, the questions that I actually asked in my interviews when I had, um, I'd actually asked as a way to see how much the values of the company are embodied by each individual. And funny enough, you know, the clinic that I thought I would value the most actually wasn't able to give me the best answer. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. You know, it's, uh, it, it is true. And I think as speaking from a new grad's perspective, it's, you know, what you're saying definitely does take a lot of time to figure out. So I think, you know, even though you gave all these words of wisdom, I think that those same 
people who become new grads will end up going into clinics that don't align with their values 100% because of kind of different things. But I think that sometimes that that might be just the process of things. And, you know, you go through the motions and of trialing this and, um, you know, trying the new clinics. You, you, this one looks cool. I want to be part of this team. So there's a lot of options out there, right? Especially as, um, as there's more and more physios coming out, there's more needs of markets getting saturated, you know, the recruitment's getting tougher for clinics. So they offer like fancy things to, to clinicians to try to lure them to come in. So there's a lot of, a lot of things you have to consider, right? You know, coming out as a new grad, the first offer I got, I was like, wow, like this is such a great offer in hindsight. Maybe it wasn't the best offer that I could have gotten. Right. Because you don't know, there's no comparison either. Right. So I think, that is, you're, you're right in terms of kind of going in blind sometimes. <laughs> so I, I would easily say that I've never, I've never um, encountered at least a, a clinic or a company in our industry that has a well-structured uh, long-term development plan that shows a clinician kind of exactly the path and how to get how to get to that endpoint, uh, whatever the endpoint is that you know you define uh, very well and without a very structured um, um, journey for somebody well then you can't really you can't really market that or sell that can you so it ends up being you know you know you always tell people like go for the long term not the short term right there's the you know the if you get something now then you probably won't get much later type of thing right and mm -hmm. as we all know the long term rewards are often through hard work and when you're a company that doesn't have that properly structured or properly built out then you almost have no choice but to go okay who has the biggest signing bonus you know what i mean yeah yeah, no. I, know. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's one thing that I actually wanted to talk, you know, as one of the kind of will be a part of like the new grad panelists at Accelerate. And that's the one thing that I was hoping to get out to all the clinic owners, because actually um, there was not a lot of that plan being laid out. And when that plan isn't really in front of the new clinician, then you're faced with a lot of uncertainty and then that uncertainty becomes a loss of interest and which a loss of interest becomes departure from your business. So, and this is kind of the natural history. Like if I'm, for example, I'm sitting here, you say, Nick, Nick, you're telling me, Hey, you're going to be the clinic lead one day, right? <laughs> There's no, nothing else really mentioned. Nothing else really kind of um, is laid out. I wait, I wait, I wait. One year later, nothing happened. 1.5 years, nothing happened. I'll probably be looking at another place that will offer me what I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. But that's just kind of how it is. I think that that communication, which we do with our clients, right? We have to communicate like how we want to structure the plan. It sometimes doesn't happen between kind of the owner and the, the clinician level, which is interesting because I think it's happening more now, but definitely wasn't happening when I was kind of going through the process right but i think that sounds like at least with you guys you guys have that plan laid out right because the clarity provides also a piece of that purpose that you mentioned before exactly exactly when it's laid out 
when there's clarity, then, then um, it, it gives people uh, a lot more insight into what they're actually signing up for, right? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And, you know, while we're on the kind of the topic of having uh, clinicians and millennials, I, I could definitely say that, you know, as the more millennial population like myself <laughs> and Justin come into the workforce, I wouldn't say we're difficult to manage, but I would say we're, it's different to manage millennials compared to kind of the previous generations. Cause I think that with the social media and online world, it creates definitely a world of confusion sometimes because you get that anal uh, paralysis by analysis of what's going on. And, but I have noticed, you know, at least I would say maybe I won't speak for everyone in my generation, but I would say we are a little bit less patient than potentially the previous generation. So how do you, as somebody who's leading a massive group of millennials right now, how do you try to get that buy-in and keep them patient through this whole process of growth? I think the, the number one thing is always leading by example. Um, I, I have always chosen to lead by example. Um, I, I want to, you know, the, I don't have it figured out. I don't think anyone will have it fully figured out, meaning I'm chasing longevity just like everyone else's, right? And as a company, we're here to support each other's dreams. Um, you know, I always say like, nobody wants to help you buy a nice house or a fancy car, um, not unless you help them buy one too. And it's one of my, one of my quotes that, you know, nice house and fancy car, is really like a metaphor for what you value, right? That yes, you can have a bunch of, you know, pawns and followers that are kind of, you know, helping you reach your goals and your dreams, but they're probably also looking elsewhere for other opportunities because they're not fully bought into helping you buy a nice house or a fancy car. So if you want a whole team to work together and accomplish personal goals as well as company goals, then as a leader, it's my job to support their dreams as much as they support mine. So, you know, number one is lead by example. And number two is just a simple mindset switch, right? Lead by example. Every single day I go to work and I'm chasing, right? And I'm chasing my own um, goals chasing and I'm hoping that I can inspire other people, whether it's in my company or outside my company um, to think differently because that, that, that whole glass ceiling effect is very real. Um, not a lot of people, you know, especially younger generation and millennials have experienced that effect. It's still very much present. Right. And, you know, I always encourage people to, to, to go and, you know, talk to their, talk to their clinic owner and talk to their director and talk to whoever, and just make sure that there is a plan laid out for you. But, you know, I always, I always ask people, especially in our industry, like how often do you, you know, get to sit down and talk about your personal goals? I would imagine not very often, right? I never did. I got that opportunity when I was, you know, I worked at, upwards of 10 different clinics, 15 clinics before I opened physio room and not, I can't remember a single time where I actually sat down with a clinic owner or manager who 
listen to my personal goals and what I'm trying to accomplish in life. And, you know, it's always about, you know, you know, how are we doing as a company and how are we doing as a clinic and how are you performing? And that's part of it. I get it. I'm, I'm part of a team. And of course, uh, if the company doesn't succeed, I technically don't succeed too. But you know, what, what about me type of thing, right? Like mm-hmm. I'd love to sit down with, with like a clinic owner and, and pick their brain on like, on how I can personally develop. So, you know, at Mayo, it's, it's, well, do we have everything figured out? Of course not. But we have that intention um, always at, uh, at the top of our mind and developing our team. And, you know, we, we've been able to uh, be um, just through organically, um, been able to live it through a lot of the therapists that work for our team, right? A lot of them are now directors. A lot of them are owners. A lot of them have, have kind of lived that path. And, um, it's been great and it makes me obviously incredibly proud to, to have my first employee ever um, in Vancouver now. That's cool, right? Because that's, mm-hmm. Jesse's been with me since 2011, right? Yeah. That's amazing. And our first 10, I was just telling somebody this today, actually, the first 10 people that worked at Physio Room were all like, we never um, went to job fairs. We never put up postings, right? Back in the day, people just referred other people to come work for them. It's like, you should come work here. It's different. You should come work here. It's different. And what they saw was this guy who's willing to work like 14 hours a day, nonstop, without any real structure in place, just trying his best to, to support everyone's dreams, right? Yeah. Yeah. At this stage, it's just different, right? We have a much bigger team now, so I don't want to build hope for people. Guy, and I don't want to help everyone, but I want it actually um, laid out. I want that therapist journey to be properly laid out. So at the end of that, end of that journey, it's your future proof, essentially you're, you've, you've reached your goal, whatever that is. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. and all these, you know, personal goals, you know, everything that we want to accomplish, it's, it's all linked back to our why, right. You know, our purpose. Right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's how do you empower someone? How do you empower your clinicians to be able to, you know, take control and kind of share their own story, you know, whatever, whatever story that is. Right. That's the thing, though. Everyone has a story that matters. People forget. Every single person has a very unique story that's special, but we don't share enough, right? And I always challenge my therapist to make sure your story is heard, right? Because there's always somebody who wants to listen. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So, Nick, now that we've come to the point in the podcast uh, where we talk about books, what's one book that you've read that's really helped you learn more about the business or just kind of give you insight as to mindset or entrepreneurship in general? Yeah. So start with why obviously is the um, most impactful book and probably the easiest one to understand for um, younger clinicians. Um, I think it's a great book by Simon Sinek. It's, it's uh, changed the way I think it's an older book. Um, so for sure that one, I would say a newer book that I recently read is culture code culture codes by Daniel Coyle and culture code. 
talked a lot, talks a lot about the inherent nature of organizations. And, you know, the, the biggest thing I got out of that book is in order to have a team that truly works together, you have to create a safe environment for everyone on the team. Right. And a lot of organizations, and this included us in the past, you sit in an office and it's almost like status management, you know, you don't know where your place to speak. So most people just don't, they don't want to sound stupid. You know, they don't want to be called out. Right. So typically on a hierarchical, you know, org chart, the strategy is dictated by the people on top. Right. And everyone kind of agrees. They might like chime in, give it a little opinion. But as soon as that's shot down, it's like, nope, yeah, we're just going to go that way. That's not the, that's not how you get the most out of your team. Um, and the culture code, it talks a lot about status management and just creating that safe environment. The best environments and the best teams that can truly disrupt and innovate and accelerate growth are the ones where everyone inherently just feels safe. They're not being judged. There is no like fear of anything. They just show up to work knowing that everyone around them is there to support them, not to criticize or whatever. So definitely some, a book that I uh, highly recommend is Culture Code. Great book, read both of those. Um, definitely what you just mentioned also remind me of a little snippet, and I'll add it quickly with um, the beginning of the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. They talk about the marshmallow tower experiment where they had like, I don't know if you've read that part where they had like the top executives and CEOs versus like children. And the children built a tower that was way taller than the CEOs. <laughs> and it was because there was no such thing as status management because everyone was just contributing like as if it's a one unit. Whereas the, the top executives, you know, they were looking for what one person in charge. It's like, who do we, who do we say yes to? Who's going to lead? Whereas the kids are just like, let's just get in there and just build it until we can get it as high as possible. So that was, uh, <laughs> it was a really cool experiment they did. Uh, yeah. trial and error, right? When you're when yeah. you're a group of kids, you're probably pushing each other and grabbing each other's marshmallows and just <laughs> trying, trying. It's probably gonna, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna go again. You probably on your 88 iteration by the time the top CEOs create one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just have to exactly. fail 87 times, and your 88 <laughs> one is probably 10 times taller than that first version. <laughs> this other guy, this other team. Yeah, exactly. Definitely a lot to be said about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Nick, now that uh, we're coming to the end of the podcast, we want to ask you where people can get in touch with you. We know you have a very popping Instagram page. So uh, with lots of fire posts every single week. <laughs> so is there, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, so Instagram is, is um, an easy way to get in touch with me. I answer every message that I ever get. Um, it's at Nick Low Physio. And then um, my email is nick at myodetox.com. Um, and I always encourage, especially young, young clinicians um, to, you know, email me, message me. Um, if they ever have a question, they want to ever want to meet up for a coffee. I, I, I love inspiring, especially the young, 
uh, young therapists in, in our industry because uh, I didn't get that kind of mentorship or I didn't get that kind of um, guidance when I was a young therapist. And I was a lot of times left very clueless with, 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 uh, with uh, that path. So um, definitely hit me up if, uh, if anyone has any questions or you know, wants to pick my brain on anything. I'm happy to, happy to talk further or chat further. Perfect. Well, Nick, it was great having you on this podcast today. I'm sure we can do many, many more episodes in the future. Lots and lots to talk about. But yeah, it was great having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, good Thanks, luck Nick. with uh, this early, early journey for you guys. And uh, keep, <laughs> keep growing, keep learning, make lots of mistakes. Uh, I always tell people, though, to keep, uh, just keep shooting, you know. I'm a basketball <laughs> player. When you have the ball, keep shooting. doesn't matter if you hit or you miss it. But always take the shot. You always <laughs> take the shot. Never pass the ball. The one person you can always trust is yourself. <laughs> or or Kawhi. <laughs> or Kawhi. <laughs> or Kawhi. In Kawhi we trust. Pass it to Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> definitely Kawhi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely Danny Green. This <laughs> <laughs> or Freddie, Freddie will, Freddie will do it too. <laughs> or just throw it to Drake. Throw it to Drake. <laughs> there you go, Drake. Yeah, Drake will get it. <laughs> All right, All right. All right. thanks, Nick. All right. We'll care. see you guys at, uh, at Accelerate. Yep, we'll see you soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.